Hi, this is Roger McGuinn, and my favorite station is WMNF, Tampa, Florida. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today's guest is Amanda Pike, and we're going to be talking about creating and living a sustainable life in a food forest and in Central Florida. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. Good morning, Kenny. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Annie. I'm Hello. back, back, back again. I know. I missed and you so much. Annie was out for two weeks, I think, and then I was out for two I know. weeks. We're like, it sounded like we're doing vacation, but we were both <laughs> very ill. In fact, we were so ill, we couldn't even speak. So that's why we couldn't even oh, Zoom. Yeah. So right? Annie had bronchitis, and I, uh, Marissa from Shell's Feed Store... Mm-hmm. She also had two weeks of bronchitis. Oh, no. I love her. She's I, so sweet. I think I had self-diagnosed uh, laryngitis. Self-diagnosed. <laughs> there's a key right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lost my voice for about 10 days. But you found it. But it's back. <laughs> That's good. I actually was legitimately diagnosed <laughs> with bronchitis. Well, and I still had it. I had to actually, and I don't take antibiotics like you know i'm like miss natural but i had to take two rounds of antibiotics and i even had to take a steroid which oh my gosh that stuff is horrible i hate that stuff i was diagnosed by dr google (laughs) (laughs) well you know (laughs) you do the best you can i'm glad you're back anyway just you can hear my voice is a little weird right it's i'm still i still have bronchitis so whatever and irene is here Volunteer extraordinaire. Yes, she is. Irene. She's, the best. she's answering your calls, and Mr. Bill Grace is working the boards and right about across from us. Fifty other tasks for us. As every every task that we fail at, fixes <laughs> yeah. for us. So thank you both. <laughs> yeah. All so right. Great. So uh, let's get Amanda on, bec- and then I'll tell you some things that happened in the past two weeks. Yeah, let's I want to talk about let's that. Let's get Amanda too, on because I've been doing some stuff as well. You want to introduce her? Hey, Amanda, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you guys? Good, good. Let me tell everybody about you. Uh, Amanda Pike, She's a she has a lots of degrees and she, she does so many things. She has a PhD, ATR, a BC, and is a board certified therapist, certified educational leader and owner of a two-acre Florida permaculture, bleh, that was easy for me to say, permaculture farm, complete with hundreds of species of edible plants, free-roaming chickens, and 26 beehives. Dr. Pike serves as education chair for the Palm Beach County chapter of the Native Plant Society. As a local 4-H program facilitator, Dr. Pike helps make food forestry an accessible and practical landscaping option for the community. And her, I know this, her food forest currently provides an average of 70% of her family's daily needs, which is pretty phenomenal. It really is. Now, I've introduced you, and it seems like we would go straight to questions, but I think we <laughs> want to talk about a few things that we've done this weekend. In fact, you can talk about your, what you've done this weekend, too. So, Kenny, you want to start? Uh, sure. So, welcome back, Amanda. We had you on Thank uh, you. last January. Yeah, we figured it was about a year, so and that's nice. And the conversation was dominated by Biden's... Uh, Album? Yeah. The, the I na- you were talking about the president yeah. for a second. <laughs> no, Biden's the <laughs> the native, but people who think it's a weed. I love or, it. Or I eat it all the time. Yeah, it's great. So, Amanda, 
about three weeks ago, I went to the border of Florida and Georgia to a sustainable community. They're building 200 sustainable cabins on 705 acres, and they have uh, cows, pigs, mules, horses, chickens, turkeys, and then they literally have three acres of blueberries, two acres of blackberries, five acres of olive trees and mayhaws. Wow, that's fantastic. Don't they give you like a certain amount, uh, a guaranteed blueberries a year or something like that? Yeah, if you move there, which is kind of expensive. Yeah, I'm sure. But if you move there, you you get um, as much fruit and vegetable and herbs and eggs as you can eat. That's fabulous. And I mentioned when I visited them six months ago, I mentioned that the Sustainable Living Project here in Tampa, their rule is or historically the rule has been you can take as much food as you want, but you cannot put it in your fridge. So, Oh, it has to be eaten that day. Exactly. But Got if it. you want to come back the next day, yeah. you, you can harvest as oh, much as you want. Right. So they don't but, want people to hoard it. Exactly. Got so it. the it's called The Farm at Okefenokee. They, um, they implemented my idea because they said, oh. how are we going to balance people all, all, this, them, yeah. All, yeah, all this food? Profit. So that was cool. Well, and, that is uh, cool. What Amanda's talking, well, Amanda has uh, lots of beehives. They gifted me when I left. They, they gifted you a beehive? They gifted me a half a gallon of honey. Oh, that's a lot it's of like, honey. I don't want to, you know, it's like $80 probably or I'm even more. At least, yeah. And a gallon, a half a gallon, that's it, huge. It's huge. Those and small <laughs> bottles from a friend of mine expensive. are 20-something mm-hmm. dollars, yeah. So I've been eating a lot of honey. That's great. I do too. <laughs> it's really good for you because then you're getting all the pollens and such. They say it's for the, the area that you're in. So I'm sure Amanda's is like the greatest for her, for their family, because it's right where they live. You know, I've just been, I, I wanted to just say that, you know, I've still, I'm planting. I, I mean, and, and I want everybody to know that's you can. And right now is a good time to do it. Uh, it doesn't seem like it because it's cold and, you know, all this stuff. But I've just... I've been digging holes and planting stuff like all week and I'm going to be doing some more this week. I'm even going to start some seeds of some things. So I just encourage everybody to do that. Um, and also my next door neighbor, he was raking up leaves, which he was going to throw away and they don't spray their yard. So I got them up for, uh, for more stuff in my yard to, to build up the soil. In fact, Michelle's over at my house. She said she was going to help me. Uh, and she was a person we've had on Michelle here James. before. Michelle James. And she said, oh my God, look at this black soil. This is what I have at my yard. I said, I made that soil. (laughs) And because when I first moved there, uh, it was sand. And so now it's this deep, dark, rich, black, uh, worm-ridden soil. It's the best stuff. You just have to, and it's it's easy to dig too. You know, just a tiny little shovel, boom, there it is, throw in a plant or uh, make a row for seeds. Amanda, are you familiar with the plant wasabina? Is that wasabi? Wasabina? Is that a wasabi plant? Amanda. Amanda, do you know about that one? Mm, I don't think so. It's a type of mustard. It's extremely frilly. It has serrated leaves. And uh, it's just like really beautiful. I bet that's the wasabi. Um, No, the wasabi's a root. Is is that an annual? Yeah, this is an annual. Yeah, what we're doing is almost exclusively perennial right, yes. because oh, we want right. it to sustain I remember that for now. generations. Yeah, we, yeah, we just yeah. don't want to have to keep starting over every year, right. which you do annuals. We want it to be able to be something that we pass on to our kid or, you know, really can just be hands off after five years and only harvest. And now, so that means annuals are a no-go. So you don't even do lettuces, like just a patch of lettuce? 
Oh, we don't really bother. No, we have what so many eat? greens. What do you eat for greens that would be a lettuce substitute, Amanda? Um, I use Ibica, Katuk, I use oh, Chaya. And so many of my trees produce edible leaves. So I've got yeah. my golden apple produces, you know, I'll throw in a variety of fruit tree leaves. Like and they're even tender enough to eat without cooking? When they're young. Oh, yeah, when they're young. The tips, sure. Yeah. That makes and sense. We do a lot of- Right. Yeah. We do a lot of cooked salads. Yeah. So, you know, your Europeans are in the northern area. People got this idea of raw salads, um, but most people in subtropical areas know better because of the parasite risk and bacterial risks oh, to wow. health. Sure. And so, you know, raw salads come with liability. If you hear, That's true. you know, most of the food poisoning that occurs at like fast food mm-hmm. restaurants is from the lettuce. Yeah. Um, and true. so you know, we're not really... Yeah, we're not really interested in that raw salad. Um, we're more interested in, in cooking our greens and then having these like hearty dishes um, that have a lot of variety of vegetables in them. You know, one of the things I follow you uh, on Facebook and I uh, one of the things that really amazes me the very most is that you make your own flour. Can you tell us how you do that? Um, so I don't do it in a traditional sense. Yes, I I'm know. not going to be very non-traditional. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not drawing a substance and then grinding it because that again is a cold weather concept. I don't have a scarcity. I live in South Florida, so it's just a perennial growing season all year round. So there's just no point in drawing something and grinding it. So instead, I make a lot of wet batter. Uh, recipes. And so anything that you are creating with a dry flour, you make wet, right? That's right. So you take, yeah, you take your flour and you make it wet and then you make it dry because you bake it. And so you basically just skip a step. Um, and so I'll, I'll take all kinds of anything that's a pro, um, protein carb balance, like jackfruit seeds or or if it is a pure starch like green banana, I'll mix in a protein like egg. And then once you have a batter, you can do what you do with any other batter. You can make flatbreads, leavened breads. You can make muffins, pasta. Made, um, I make dumplings. I make all kinds of things. It's just... It's amazing because I think that people don't put that together. Like what you just said, it's a wet batter. So instead of, you know, making a dry flour wet, you already start with the wet and then you uh, flatten it out and then make it into, like you said, pasta or I've seen you do muffins. And so that just directly goes into muffin tins. And then I've seen you do pies, same things. Or, you know, it's amazing the things that you can do. And the original recipes were the the abundant recipes. And then the idea of scarcity came as, you know, humans migrated out of the warmer regions. And so those recipes came later. The recipes, and if you even look at pasta, it's like humorous, right? You take a dry stuff, you make it wet, and then you make it dry, and then you make it wet, and then you drain it, <laughs> right? There's a lot I mean, going on let's there. Let's <laughs> skip some steps there. Um, and, and so it's a lot of fun in the kitchen once you just figure out that that you have abundance so easily because you live in Florida. So just, and, a, just, a, just a real quick, how would you make a pasta? Just start one. Okay, so the easiest way is just to make a batter. So if you've got something like 
green banana or you've got jackfruit seeds. You can mix in like an egg, just like you would with a flour, egg-based pasta, and you get yourself a really thick batter. And then I like to use what's called a spitzel top. It's just basically like a cheese grater that sits on top of a boiling pot of water. Oh, yeah, it just just, rises out when you squeeze it, right? It just rises out. Yeah, and you can also use a potato ricer to get longer little... spaghetti-like tubes, and it goes right into a pot of uh, just boiled water. So the water you've brought up to boiling, but then you basically just lower it so that it's not creating ripples anymore because you don't want to break up the dough. Right. So that's the thing is that you just want it to be hot because if it's boiling, it's just going to make it into mush again. So you want it to just uh, immediately cook cook the rice type of pasta. Without massaging it. I just love that. Yeah, it's a great idea. So easy. Yeah. And so I can make a food forest. It's essentially egg drop soup in a way. Um, And I can make a homemade pasta as fast as I could opening a box. It's even faster. And it's so exciting to be like, you know, store-bought is not more efficient. It's not faster. It's not healthier. Really, at Certainly this point, not it's, healthier. it's not compared at all. Yeah. Comparable. What does jackfruit seed and plantain pasta taste like? Well, it tastes like regular. It. <laughs> it tastes like regular pasta because it's a neutral, starchy flavor. And so, <laughs> if something is just starchy, it's there are some mild differences. Like if you think about like, what are the different flavors between potatoes? Right. Yeah, there are some different textures, some mild, maybe nuttiness versus a little bit more earthiness, but right. it's subtle. And most people don't have a discerning palate to that level. What they're looking for is salt, fat, and sugar. And so <laughs> if, if, if it's salt and fat, sugar is not registering on the palate, the nuances certainly aren't. So yeah, you put a sauce on it, no big deal. So if you, so the way you do this is you've decreased your grocery bill dramatically by having all yes. these perennial things. So how do people do that? How would they mimic? So, well, you know, first you have to think about nutrients. So sixty percent of the entire world's diet. So all humans on the face of the earth, sixty percent of all humans' diet is just three plants. What are so, those three plants? Can you guess? Uh, well, I would say wheat, corn, wheat, corn, corn. and uh, I don't know, uh, meat probably. <laughs> no, so rice. Fat. Rice. Rice. Oh, okay. Plants. So oh, 60% right. <laughs> rice, wheat, and corn. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And so all three. Hardly any of that. Yeah. Well, all three are a balanced protein carb. And so in the United States, we joke that standard meal number one is meat and potatoes, right? Right. And the reason why standard meal number one would be meat and potatoes is because it's a protein-carb balance. If you just consume high proteins, you can have protein starvation, so you can't just live off meat. And if you just consume carbs, then you're going to have protein deficiency. So really, when you start to think of what are my protein-carb balance uh, options to grow, well, then you can immediately start to just make sweeping changes. So most Americans, 60% of their diet is wheat, pasta, hamburger buns, sandwich bread, these things. Sounds awful. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's why there's so much disease. Anyway, yeah. yeah, it's disease. <laughs> it Even crackers, you know, all yeah. these things, 60%, you know, ends up being wheat. And so if you know that, if you know that's the trend, then you need to just find a replacement. And so the reason why 60% of the human race's diet can just be those three plants 
because it's a protein carb balance. And so, so many things in the food forest provide a protein carb balance, either through mixing starch and protein, like meat and potatoes, which would be like green banana and an egg, for example, to make a batter, like we talked about, or just jackfruit seeds straight up are protein. You say jackfruit seeds. Now, we grind them. Is that how you do that? You don't have to grind them. You know, you can. You can. Um, I've had them eat. I eat them like they boil them, and it's like a yes. raw pe- It's like a cooked raw peanut, boiled peanuts. It's really what it tastes like to me. It's kind of like chestnuts. Yeah, yeah. It kind of has that starchy uh-huh. mouthfeel. Um, it can be like a gnocchi. So we'll throw some tomato sauce on it. You know, like a marinara sauce, and just eat it like a gnocchi. Yeah, uh, like a like a pasta. Um, and that I never is thought about eating it like that, having yeah, that as delicious. the base. Yeah, I just had it like just as a snack thing, you know, like a boiled peanuts. And it was really good. I was very surprised. But I never thought about it as being a base for a sauce. That's a great idea. I think we need to uh, try to get people to call in and such <laughs> so we have a, a reintroduction that we need to go with. Sure. You're listening to the Sustainable Living Show coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Today, we're talking with Amanda Pike about creating and living in a sustainable food forest. If you have a favorite food forest item (laughs) that you like to grow and you want to talk to us about, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663, or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. So today, we're talking about food forests. If you want to get started. Maybe you have a question about getting started with the yes, food forest. definitely. Or if you have a favorite item, please contact us and we'll highlight you on air. So, uh, Amanda, can you just remind us what part of Florida you're living in? Sure. So I'm in South Florida. I live in Jupiter Farms. It's in Palm Beach County. So it's a really beautiful little area. It's um, a quaint kind of neighborhood. It's it has a lot of the charm that I think has been lost in a lot of other places in the world. You know, neighbors want to talk to each other. I have this wonderful experience of enjoying and loving all four of my neighbors oh. that are on either on all my sides. And we like to, you know, get to know, know everybody on our entire street. So Jupiter Farms, if you haven't visited it, I highly recommend it um, for what? people wanting to do ecotourism. I wanted to mention that what you just said, that you just said it's a neighborhood. You don't live way out in the boonies and uh, to have this food forest. You do that in your neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So I do have a two acre property. However, it it has this neighborhood. We have, you know, it's not like a giant, expansive acreage. Um, so you can see the houses around you and, um, you get to know your neighbors, and it hasn't gotten the the density where people stop liking each other. You know, when you get so dense, people, <laughs> yeah, when the cities become so congested, it's like people just stop liking yeah. each other. Um, whereas here, it's like, oh, it's this, it's found a sweet spot where you're not yeah. so desolate um, that there are no social norms. Um, but it's not so congested where people forget that humans are likable. So <laughs> you actually yeah, make friends that? with your neighbors. That's beautiful. That thing they say, uh, fences make great neighbors. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to have that. That's nice. That's great. So it. Yeah, it is. It's really great. For and the, we're all learning from each other. Yeah. For There's the, so many. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. It's okay. I was going to say for the first time in 10 years, the USDA changed its zones. Yeah, And they just did that about a month ago. So, Amanda, I was wondering, are you able to grow jackfruit 
year round because I had a jackfruit, but then it froze like two years ago. It froze down to the ground, but now it's back up to maybe 12, 14 feet. But I'm thinking because you're a little further south. Yeah, um, what zone is it? Like, is that a, uh, we're yeah. now 10B, aren't we? Or just, I think we are. I think we're 10B. We're getting warmer. Yeah, what's your zone down there, Amanda? So I'm 10B now as oh, well. Oh, I thought yours would be warmer than us, but you do great jackfruit. Yeah, I do jackfruit and I get great harvest. I'm plant- Jackfruit's the tree that I'm planting constantly. So researchers are saying that jackfruit is the plant that they in- they think will address the increases in hunger in years to come. So I tell people, if you've got some angsty family members, you know, like they're not crazy about the election coming up, they're nervous about all the climate change talk, just go into one of your ethnic grocery stores, buy a giant jackfruit, take the seeds out, plant them. You'll have a 90% germination within two weeks. You can gift everybody you know a jackfruit seedling. It'll be like a foot within a month. Wow. And uh, it's so, just a great gift. So that's a wonderful thing to, to bring up. It's like you don't have to go to a find a fruit grower that has a tree for you that you have to have a big expense in. You can just go and plant seeds, which is a marvelous thing. I went to an ethnic grocery store yesterday, and in the freezer section, they had a lot of fun stuff, but in the produce section, they had Egyptian spinach. Oh, yeah, I have that growing. They had moringa, probably five different types of eggplants, which I'm not too sure if you could grow those, but they had 10 different types of hot peppers, uh, sugar cane, jackfruit, all these like beautiful heirloom pumpkins. And I was thinking, you know, when you said that, Amanda, I was thinking, yeah, you could just be grabbing those things, the drumsticks of the moringa, and you could just, instead of eating it, you could be starting to plant it in your property. No doubt. No doubt. I tell people. And then do that. Yeah, I I tell people all the time. Yeah, we have. I just wanted to let everybody know the reason why this is sort of uh, back and forth like this is that Amanda is zooming, so we cannot see her and she cannot see us, so we can't cue each other on when we were going to be talking. So go ahead, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, so I tell people all the time that it's cheaper to buy things to eat and then plant than it is to buy things to plant. So if if you're wanting to sort of food forest, yeah, go over to a grocer, buy sugarcane, plant it. It'll grow. You can get lemongrass stalks, get water chestnut, jackfruit seeds. I mean, just so many things, malanga tubers, um, just straight up food. And, and I mean, you know that you'll know what it tastes like because it's being distributed at a grocer for, for edibility, for food. Right. Two weeks ago, I was at Bach Tower Gardens for a, uh plant sale and it was very bad actually and very slow and there was no customers so oh. i got to mingle with all the other vendors and i was mingling See, that was your bonus yeah yeah and i was mingling with one uh vendor who sells rare edible foods uh-huh. and i asked them well i said a couple of years ago i bought this curry leaf no not a curry leaf. I, I planted a no, curry no, tree at a no not a curry house. tree they this get is really big this is a patty a rice patty curry herb it's an herb Oh, okay. And I said, do you have that anymore? And they go, no, we lost it in the cold. But they said, but if you want to grow it, you can just go to MD Oriental Market and buy it in a little tray to eat, but you just plant it. it instead. And I was like, well, you know, I paid a lot of money for that plant. And- but you could <laughs> eat half of it and plant the rest. Yeah. You know, that could be. That could and work. then another one that they sell is fish mint, which has like kind of a heart-shaped leaf. This is at the Oriental store, a fish... Uh, a heart-shaped leaf, 
but it, when you rub it, you know, like when I smells like fish. When I have people come over, I always say like, oh, rub the katuk, rub this, rub, eat this, eat the blue porter weed flowers, blah blah blah. And whenever they rub the fish mint. Their hands smell like fish for about 12 hours. <laughs> they have and, to rub lemon on just yeah, like fish. That's funny. They're a little cursory. So, Amanda, it's the end of December. Is now a good time to start a food forest? Yeah, what can you start in, at this time of the year? Well, this has been a really wet winter. And has so it? that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> Lately and it so- has. It was really dry <laughs> in my house for a long time. <laughs> Go ahead. Um so anytime that you have rainfall, it's a good time to plant. Mm-hmm. And so that's really your only limitation. Um, if you're planning, if, if you if your region gets frost or if it gets, you know, cold snaps, then of course that's a consideration. But you can always plant your deciduous trees now um, that are going to be a little bit more resilient to that because they're already dormant mm-hmm. for the winter. Um, Now is a great time to go ahead and put down some of your tubers as long as the ground is not going to freeze because it's during this time that the tubers are reproducing and will spread. So come spring, you'll have a much larger patch of whatever you put down. So. And to clarify that, it, during dormancy, uh, the the power of the plant goes to the roots and not to the foliage. So that's why that would work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So just you can always prepare your ground as well. So, I mean, a lot of food forestry is about preparing soil like you were talking about, Annie, and just yes. creating that beautiful loam. And so bringing in your mulch as a good way to counteract any cold, the mulch can be letting off steam and heat and provide an insulation, provide a blanket basically for your plants, keeping it warm, providing that thermal regulation. So, um, yeah, that's a great, a great anytime. Yeah. Because now all the deciduous trees are dropping their leaves. So this is the time to get those leaves to use in, to be a mulch and to then decompose into turning into this wonderful black earth. It's fantastic. So So when we think about a a forest, there's different layers. You have the big trees, you have the understory you have the ground cover. Right. And when people want to implement a food forest at their homes, what type of sites or locations can they start with? Yeah, like because, what's what's the design area? Yeah, because I have an acre. Amanda has two acres, but a lot of people have 10 foot by 10 foot. Yeah, I have a small space, so, but it's still food forests out there. So, Amanda, do you first think about where the water is? Do you think about the sun? Do you think about yeah. shade? How, where do we get uh, started? I mean, generally speaking, in Florida, you're not going to be worried about sun to the same extent as you would in Rochester, New York, or Seattle, Washington. So it is more about the water. A lot of places in Florida do have irrigation. That irrigation is not necessarily the ideal. I think it's always better to work with like natural water flow. And you can see that immediately after a rainfall, the way the plants respond to rain as a natural fertilizer. Um, that can be because of some of the chemicals that are in the water or some of the, the heavy components. So I think, yeah, in the dry season, you want to pay attention to where what's dying back. So if you're going to, you're going to have some, you know, some drier spells, um, you're going to have some spots where, um, now you've got bare, bare soil, everything died and it's extremely telling. And so when you've got that dieback and you've got that bare soil, 
you can consider that kind of like your desert spot and plant a nitrogen fixer like pigeon pea or um, just a, a drought tolerant like Kosova and just fill it in. And then when when spring comes and your wildflowers start to go bananas, um, you can use that as an indicator because flowers indicate you know, phosphorus and other types of nutrients. And all of your fruit trees are going to need to flower to produce a fruit or a nut. So they're now your companion plants. You also want to have pollinators all around them. So just paying attention, really kind of scaling back what you're doing and starting to pay attention to what happens without your intervention. Yeah, that sounds like a, that's really great uh, advice. Uh, So basically what somebody then should do is observe their property for the year, take notes of what's happening, where it's happening, and then the following year start to put it in in those places like you said that is really good advice i hadn't thought about that a you know, flowering uh you know your wildflowers that are flowering is would be where you would put your flowering trees like your bananas or your other flowering trees because that's what they would need that's brilliant i personally didn't wait the full year so as i observed it i responded you just to did it. it okay yeah so each season has a different sort of a a reaction plan you know you're reacting to wildflowers in spring you know you're reacting to flooding in summer and uh you just go from there um so for me i i i'm on a five-year plan where we just hit our fourth year anniversary so congratulations thank you so much we just want to hit the ground running and and you can just go with it get into the flow with the cycle you're not a part of it you're not apart from it you don't have to control it. Just observe it and, and just get in rhythm with it. You know, it's interesting. You just said that it's been that short of a period of time. Four years is really, in my world, not a very long time. And and when you think about that, how much you have done in that short period is phenomenal. So if people wanted to look and see what you have done, how would they go about doing that, Amanda? We offer free tours every Sunday at 5 Mm-hmm. And uh, we just open our gates to the community. Uh, people come through. I tell them, bring a bucket, bring shears. They can take all the cuttings they want. Um, if they see seeds, they can collect seeds as well. You know, From a distance, people help. how would they do that? Because we're here in Tampa, and I'm probably not going to drive over to Jupiter anytime soon. How would people find out how to do this with you? Is there an online situation? Is there, sure. I know I have you have a, a beautiful page. book, yeah. too. So let's tell people how to you know, figure this out by that way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do have a Facebook page called transforming Florida yards. And, um, I post every day what we're doing, um, encouragement for other people, tips, tricks, these types of things just every day, a little nugget. And then, um, I do have a book out called transforming Florida yards. It's a great book. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. And it just has one page cheat sheets for every plant that we are growing or that we seriously considered growing um, to understand how to grow it, how to eat it, um, you know, any kind of cultural information because I do homeschool my son. So how can I incorporate this plant as an educational tool? Uh, so yeah, anybody can can use those two resources or come visit. We do have an Airbnb on site. Oh, that's nice to know. Yeah, so we do, we have had people oh, there it is. from, yeah, <laughs> 
So from our uh, my Facebook page, I have had people uh, book our Airbnb and come stay with us as a form of ecotourism. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I give tours and they can take home plants and they can they can learn about food forestry and um, I've even let them taste some of our family meals. Like this is what we're eating tonight. Um, we've had people stay with us long term. We had um, a young videographer stay for a couple of months and just make food forest tutorials in exchange as like a barter for the Airbnb. That's fabulous. See, yeah, we fed her from the forest. Are, so are those videos things. available now? Yeah, that'd be nice to watch. Yes, they're on uh, YouTube, and uh, we've had other people come as well, and, and we've had quite a few different videographers since her come and, and well, make videos of the food for us. How would we find it on YouTube? I mean, that's a broad area. Of, uh, yes, it is. Yes, I do post them. <laughs> I post the videos on my on Facebook, Facebook page. page. Okay. Yes. Okay. I also have an Instagram called Florida Food Forests, and so I do post it there as well, but I'm more active on Facebook. Yeah. It's easier for sure. I think Have so. Have you been yeah. before the four years? Were you growing a permaculture style, or not really? So we we had a half acre before this, and we lived on a golf course, and oh, so wow. it was all about aesthetics. A lot of chemicals. Um, yeah, and we both my husband and I had kind of corporate type jobs, and we started hiring someone to build our food forest on our half acre. Um, but, uh, you know, we have family who have done similar types of forestry and farming. And so we've got the cultural influence there. Um, but we bought this property knowing that we wanted to do a food forest and we just dove in. And if you don't fight nature, things happen so fast because nature is trying to reforest. We have to just get out of the way. That is the truth So every level of nature. In the introduction, we mentioned that you're eating like 70% of your food is from your property, but that didn't start on day one. So for, yeah. because we want to empower the listeners, how quickly can you reduce your grocery bill? I have a friend who comes over every Friday and we've, we've looked at this graphic and it said that Miami has like the biggest inflation for food and Tampa is number oh two goodness. for the country. Wow. For the country. Well, I'm not surprised because at the grocery store, my bills have gone up dramatically. Gas prices are good, but yes. for groceries, they're, they're still quite high. So and, how and to add to that, to add to Kitty's questions, I want to know what were the first things that you planted too? Yeah. What's like the return on investment? Do we yes. have to wait four years to right. reduce our grocery bills 70%? Our, our quick return. So, I mean, the fastest return is going to be leafy greens. Okay. You know, Katuk, Ibica, Chaya. What is Ibica? Ibica is a type of uh, it's a type of spinach. It it tastes beautiful, like butter leaf, like butter, like butter, like butter I lettuce. Siso. Do you have any siso that you use? Because that's perennial as well. Um. Yeah, it's a ground cover. I do yeah. have that growing in a variety of areas. Um. But you know, Can I, you spell I Ibica. Sure, it's A I B I K A. We're it's also called it Bele. Yeah, nice. it's also called okay. Bele. It grows very fast. It'll try to get up to twelve feet. I just keep lopping mine off at three feet, and then you just keep planting the cuttings after you strip all the leaves. It is so delicious. It's a manahot. And, uh, is it a manahot? So isn't that? It is a hibiscus. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Oh, look yes. at that. That's a beautiful flower, too. It is beautiful, and the flowers are edible as well. You can stuff them just um, like you would pumpkin like or squash, squash flowers. Awesome. Stuffed squash blossoms are delicious. Yeah, it's delicious. Um, I also did a lot of edible flowers, you know, so for me. So okra. It looks like an okra. Is that kind of what that looks like yes. to you as well? Yes. Okay. That's lovely. And then, you know, Kosova is going to yield really fast within nine months. Sweet potato also yields very fast. Do you grow sweet potato all year? Because I have found that I grow it in the summer, you know, when it's super, super hot, and then I dig them up in October. Uh, do you grow them in different patches all year round and just harvest as needed? Or how does that work for um, you? So because we're taking this permaculture approach, for the most part, we are planting our potatoes to let them rot. And that probably sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people, but we have above ground starches. We have banana, a green oh, banana. So you're not is eating a, the potato, then you're um, just growing hardly. It for the the leaves. So you're just eating the leaves. Hardly. Like if I dig and I, I strike a potato, potato I'll go ahead and eat it. You know. Yeah. Um, and it is delicious. It is. But a lot of these, the oldest cultures, like Jane, Jane's, for example, are one of the oldest cultures still in existence. And their culture forbids eating anything beneath the soil. And for a lot of people, that's so strange, you know, and so, so weird and archaic. But then when you're a permaculturist, you're like, well, that makes perfect sense. Because if I dig beneath the soil, one, I'm disrupting. Yeah, I'm disrupt. I'm basically tilling. I'm disrupting right. mycorrhizal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm destroying roots, you know, and then also sure. I'm exposing myself to fungus and mold and, yeah. you know, I'm getting my nails dirty and all the things. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I want to bring it back to, because you just glossed over it real quickly, micro, uh, the mycorrhizal uh, in the soil. That's very important to keep those threads together. Yeah. And so if you have an above ground starch, then you have a luxury. You don't have to break your back digging a tuber. Yeah. Um, you have if you have an above ground starch, a green banana is a potato equivalent. Well, you get to save the soil, save your labor. Um, and we make we make green banana French fries, you know, obviously tostones. I make you know, bread out of, I make flatbreads, I make tortillas. So what are the things, what do you think are the first things that people need to to throw down? I mean, what do they need? Banana, to like, banana. I mean, banana. Okay, that's what I was people, thinking too. Yeah, yeah, people are always trying to get rid of their bananas. You know, they're always like, because these people, they get obsessed so with many. control. Yeah. They get obsessed with control. And you yeah. do want them to only have three per clump <clears throat> in order to maximize production. And I suggest having like 10 clumps per person sure. in your family. And then, and so you, that, then you can cut off one and give it to a friend. Cut off the, exactly. a little baby tree. And so you can continue right. that propagation. Yeah. Okay. So if you're maximizing your production, then you have constant banana trees to give away. And so we got most of our banana trees for free. And so I know people who will spend $250 a pot. I and know. It's like, it blows my mind. Do not like, give do, me not do that. Java. I'm yeah. going to give you anything you want. Yeah. And like, Don't no. do it. Don't Wait do it. somebody gives you a blue java, it's going to work it's out. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just just, wait. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, we, we make so many things out of green. We use them like potato. And so, so many cultures, potatoes are on the table every meal because they're a, a satiating food. They fill your belly. They're delicious. Um, and so, anything you do with a potato, you could do with green banana. I want to come to your house make- to eat. <laughs> so I'm working on a cookbook now because everybody's oh. like, oh, we need these recipes. And so, yeah, I'm working on it. And, uh, you know, another one I think people should grow right away is papaya. If you can, grow papaya um, because it's so easy. It can produce within nine months. 
And uh, it's you can eat it as a vegetable or fruit. The leaves are often juiced. It's just great. Papaya juiced leaves? Never yes. heard of that. People also wild. use them as face masks, as like anti-wrinkle face masks. Get yeah. out. It's kind of fun. draw today. At the grocery store that I went to yesterday, in addition to selling sweet potato leaves for eating, they were also selling squash leaves, like pumpkin leaves. That is amazing. I didn't know that. They sell them at the store. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's wonderful crazy. All right, Amanda. You we got calls. We got calls and we have emails. Yay. So uh, we're going to continue the banana talk with Gary and Sarah Soda. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. I always love this this show. So, Good. Okay, question about the banana. Um, is it safe to use any kind of banana leaf to, to roll up and cook something in? I've seen that before, and I've always wondered about it. In Hawaii, we did it all the time. Amanda? Yes. Yes. You just want to make sure that you, you rinse the leaves. If you live in a subtropical area... Um, parasites are real, you know, so just spray it down with a little, I, I keep a spray bottle of vinegar. And so you can mix it with 50, 50% water vinegar, and then you can just take the leaf down, you know, give it a good spray down, rinse that off sure. and, and you're good to go. You can use it as a plate. You can use it as a food wrap. That's um, you can use the, so many things as food wraps. The vinegar spray is a really good idea to get that bacteria down. That's a great idea. Is that, is that leaf actually edible? Um, you know, it's so fibrous. Uh, it's not something that you're going to chomp on, but it does give like a nice aromatic to whatever you're steaming it in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right, well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. I would think that the fiber would be like a uh, something that would get caught in your teeth if you could. If I mean, they make, even they make clothes it. out of banana leaf. They yes, make they paper are. out of banana leaf. Right. I, I went to a banana cloth. Right. I went to a large Christmas party the other week, and they're trying to be sustainable. So all of the silverware and the cutlery and the paper and it was paper plates, and everybody like complained about the fibrous it, we basically had sporks and yeah. it, they weren't good oh they, you know what i mean you so know what everybody, the best thing to me everybody is said this is nice yeah. we like this idea right but you just because it's sustainable it doesn't mean it's gonna transfer over well, it has to be as good as well, what you're replacing it with well for, for you to get a change because you had 200 people who are like can't cutting up they can't cut their tofurkey and right. they can't cut their meat and they can't cut their potatoes. But they're like, well, the idea was there. Well, maybe it was just a bad product because I have used some that were good. I mean, I just used all silverware, but I have a ton of it because I'm all about that. You know what I mean? It's like... Well, this is like a catered event. I understand, but I've done catered events at my house and, and the person that I used used all glassware and plates and we use linen napkins and we use silverware uh, just because I can't bear it not to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it shows respect to the attendees, which is a different level. Like when we host events and we host That's events right. all the time, like we host a once a month karaoke potluck. And I, oh, I always fun. make sure that I'm serving, you know, actual silverware plates. Yes. Because it, it's just respect. It's like, you know, I mean, the food's high quality and I want I want to serve it to you on something high quality. And, you know, the other thing, Amanda, is, is that 
you know, you are uh, being an image for other people to emulate. And so if you do it, people can say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. You know what I mean? So if you do it that way, then it just makes, you know, everybody realize that it's not that hard. You can do it. Not that hard. No. We have dishwashers, too. That's right. We have uh, a caller here, too. So we should probably take that. Yes, we have Robert from Bradington. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. Um, uh, Amanda's book, uh, Transforming Florida Yards, can I get that on Amazon? Yes. Yes. Amanda, uh, isn't that available? Yes. It is, yes. It's on Amazon, um, available for purchase there. And uh, probably if you have Prime, there's free shipping. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. You know, it was easily available. Mm-hmm. And my other question is, what do you do about squirrels? Because <laughs> I, I grow things here, you know, like bananas and um, different things. And when I ever get anything, the squirrel gets it way before I do. Aww. So I, I, I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer. But, I mean, yeah, but primarily the squirrels. I don't mind the birds. They're not much of a, of a problem, but squirrels. I feel you, Robert. They're at my house, too. Amanda, do you have a, a pest problem in the way of uh, squirrels, or do you just have enough for everybody? Yeah, so a couple of things. So, one, we are always planting more than we need, and mm. so there's a saying you should plant a third for yourself, a third for your friends, and a third for wildlife. That's lovely. So you should have a minimum of three, you know, like three times what you need. Um, and that way there's always a feeling of abundance. Also, you know, by the time a squirrel populace has decimated an entire rack of bananas, that, that rack has been there quite a long time. And so what we do is, um, we make it, we have rituals, you know, these joyful rituals. So we, we go for walks. My husband has an alarm on his phone on every Thursday. He walks the property looking for racks to cut down after work. And he's got a corporate job. So for him, scheduling a, a stroll through our food forest is just one of the healthiest things he can do. I mean, pleasant, Americans, right? Yeah, are so, we're so sanitary that going and just going for a walk and observing what's going on, if you do that daily or even just weekly, um, you're going to say, okay, well, here's a rack. You know, I have one yellowing banana. I'm going to cut the entire rack down and bring it into a place for it to continue ripening, right? right? So usually when you buy bananas from the store, they're green and they ripen on your counter. So that's what we do. We cut most of our racks down when they're mostly green, if not all green. We mostly eat them green as a potato. And then if they ripen, then I usually I bake a variety of pies with the bananas. So banana bread just ain't cutting it. So I bake, you <laughs> know, I bake all really fast when you get yeah, it bananas. And it's just mostly wheat. Basically, <laughs> it's like, you know, 90% wheat and like, you know, that's funny. But you have 10% flour and you've got just like a tiny bit of banana in there. Um, so, so we, no. have, we have a whole bunch of emails. Should we like do a quick one? Sure. So Amanda, uh, Kelly O would like to know, can you talk a little bit more about the positives and negatives regarding watering with well water from the uh-huh. aquifer or reclaimed water versus potable water? Or does it matter? I have seen some plants at the nursery with signs that specifically say do not use reclaimed water. Um, so we are not 
we do not have irrigation on our property and we do not go out hand watering our plants. So, so yours, we plant. Yours is what you said earlier, right? You looked where it was supposed to be and that's where you put it. Right. And then we plant with the rain cycles. So if we're going to get, you know, we just had five days of just torrential rain mm -hmm. and that's really an ideal time to plant, you know, put things down when it's raining. And then if they get steady rain for several days in a row or even a week would be amazing, then they're going to be pretty much established. Their roots are going to be forced down deeper. You put mulch on top as soon as the rain stops. And then, and then you're, you're done, essentially. I do have a small nursery in our pool enclosure that I do water with, you know, or well water from a hose. Um, but they're only in my care such a short amount of time. And then they're, <laughs> then they're thrown to the wolves out we're, to the food forest. We're getting close to the end, so I just real quick, we're going to just go through a lot of stuff. One of the things I did want to address for that man, uh, that or whoever it was that, that wrote that in, or, uh, is that... Kellyo, Kellyo, uh, you cannot use uh, reclaimed water on edible food. Um, it is treated <clears throat> wastewater, so please do not use it ever on edible food. And that's it. I don't use it anywhere because it has a real high salt content, <clears throat> and most plants cannot manage that salt content. Some can, but you know when an overall spraying system, or it's just impossible to regulate because it changes every month too. And it smells bad. It smells horrible. <laughs> it's just a bad thing. I mean, uh, I like the idea of it, but it just is not good. All right, Amanda. Tina in Brooksville, who I love because she has a Cultivate Kindness Venus Flytrap t-shirt. <laughs> she says, in India and all of Southeast Asia, a great uh, salad is made with banana blossoms. Oh, yeah. And uh, my friend uh, Delphine, who's been on the show before, she usually makes it for She's me. She's so lovely. And uh, Tina says the best tamales are cooked in banana leaves in uh, Nicaragua and they're especially deliciosos. <laughs> thank you for another great program. Well, thank you, Tina. That's great. And Lynn says, my son planted a banana tree in the wrong place. Little son, when is it safe to replant it? Today. <laughs> Amanda. Whenever you have a lot of mulch. Yeah, mulch and rain. So... If you want the banana plant to get established quickly, then you'll plant it right before the rains come, and then you'll put a ton of mulch at the base. Yep. Yeah, so in Tampa, it's kind of rained over the weekend for like, what, 14 Constantly, hours? yeah. It, it was, was very nice. It was lovely. It was a real drizzly rain. It really would never got hard. I went out every two hours because I, I have nine 50-gallon rain barrels. But, oh, it was filling up? No, they already filled up. So I was going to the corners with my five-gallon buckets, and I was filling those up. Right. And then I kept swapping them out because I have, you know, 10 five-gallon buckets. So I am a water hoarder. <laughs> I, have, I have hundreds of gallons of rain water now. <laughs> That's fantastic, Kenny. <laughs> so uh, let's see. What sustainability issues does a food force address? That's one of the questions on this list. <laughs> Amanda? So a lot of people are worried about ecosystem health. We're talking about climate change and we're talking about just the state of insect extinction, the rate of all of these extinction events happening right now today. And I am on the Native Plant Society board and I am the education chair. And I feel like the most important thing you can do to protect ecosystems is to grow your own food because of the destructivity that monocrop agriculture has yes. on the environment. And, you know, 
a, a native plant, a native forest is going to be completely chopped down to grow monocrops. Whereas in your yard, you can have an oak be the pillar of your garden because everything grows better under an oak. And yes. so you have a different approach. And so a food forest basically addresses the heart of sustainability issues. I mean, one of the one of the reasons we have a sustainability crisis right now is that we have a growing population with food demand. I don't think I'm not one of the people who thinks that you know we just have too many people. That's not my st- that's not my belief at all. I think that we have a poor use of our land. I think we have a poor way of managing right. our resources. That, that the entire has just oh, just killed us. You know, it yes, really and has, so yeah. permaculture and layered forestry and this small-scale farming is going to allow native ecosystems to coexist with foodstuff the way it has always. And so you being uh, involved in the Native Plant uh, Association, that is, I just would love for people to really hone in on that because when you're planting natives, natives you're feeding the the native uh, other plant materials. You're feeding the other native uh, critters, the birds, the insects work with it. They're not going to decimate something because it's a foreign item that you bring in. So, you know, you're, you're having it all work together. So that's what you're doing, right? Well, yes, I, I like to joke that we're using our natives as our workhorses, not our show ponies. <laughs> so I, I do have friends, they're nativists, and they have these native gardens, and their their natives are their show ponies, you know? And they're like, oh, this one's so pretty. Whereas I'm growing natives be- for the amount of insects that they attract. And so these are the keystone natives, which means I don't need pesticides. Exactly. I don't need herbicides. Exactly. I have an integrated... Yeah, I have an integrated pest management system yes. based on my native trees. Yes, that's so lovely. Uh, how would somebody get in touch with you? Uh, we're at the end of our show, so we'd like for everybody to be able to reach out to you if possible. How would that work? Sure. Well, my Facebook page is the best way, and I just have really loved being on air with you guys. Thank oh, you so much so for having wonderful. me. What? Uh, uh, how on your Facebook page? How would that be spelled out if someone was searching? So it's transforming Florida Yards, and they can just message me right on there. So um, they can follow me for tips and tricks, and then I'm pretty fast and responsive by messenger. You are. And I, yeah, I just really, you know, I want to encourage people. I'm a homeschooling mom, and so I want to foster that aspect of it too, you know, educating children in a way that's been totally lost. Thank you so much for being on the air. We really appreciate you. you. Your show is so important. It really is. This is is such an important show, what you're doing. Thank you so much. And uh, we have some things to say before we leave. We want to thank Irene for volunteering and Mr. Bill Grace for working the boards. We will see both of them in the new year. I'll be taking off the next two well, actually, weeks. Yeah, we'll both the be gone Christmas and New Year's. So you'll hear a wonderful pre-recorded show. Yeah, so stay tuned in the next hour. You'll hear WMNF Community Speaks with Mabili. And follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF. To stay in the loop, we post a ton of events. And I'm doing a eva- event event this week about free uh, water rain barrels. Oh, very this good. This Wednesday. So, I am Kenny Coogan. I am Annie Ellis. So, remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. This is WMNF Tampa. Bye-bye.